Welcome to the second episode of We and Got No Podcast of the new season, 2021-22. I had to kind of pinch myself while I was saying that because I still think it's 2020. But we are back for the new season. We obviously had our first episode with Joe Tweets, which I really enjoyed. And Jimmy, it's good to have you back for the second one. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, looking forward to this episode and to the new season. He's buzzing. Um, oh, yeah. We also <laughs> we have um, a first timer on We Ain't Got No Podcast today as well. And hopefully the first of many timer. Does that work? No, it doesn't. But anyway, um, a warm welcome to Mr. Jay Wilmington, who has been part of the We Ain't Got No History writing staff for a few months now. And he's actually been a long term user in, as well. Um, I've known him for what, six years now uh, online? So that's when, that's when we first came across each other anyway. So yeah, no, it's awesome to finally uh, get to talk to you, Jay, and really nice to have you on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, Ram, I was thinking about that as well. I, th- I was thinking yesterday that I think it's been, what, yeah, six, seven, eight years since we yeah. met originally, and this is our first time to actually get to speak to one another. Yeah. <laughs> uh, brilliant. I'm flies. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> Glad to have you on. Uh, yeah, so before we get into the episode today, I just want to briefly touch upon something more serious. Um, we will be talking about uh, preseason, obviously, transfers, and also having Jay on the podcast. Uh, the Chelsea women's team will also be a topic today because it is one of the biggest uh, clubs in Europe, and we should be proud of that if you watch or not. But before we talk about this, uh, this is a bit more serious. Today, news came out that former Chelsea player Michael Michael Ballack's son tragically passed away uh, in an accident. And while there are no words to really comfort the family in these kind of tragic times, obviously, from We Ain't Gonna History, from We Ain't Gonna Podcast, Ram and me, our sincerest condolences to the Ballack family and we wish him and his wife in particular much strength in these difficult times. So that, with that said, and yeah, it's never easy to talk about these kind of things, but I think it's, it's, it's always important to at least address it because Michael Ballack, for me personally, was one of my favourite players at the time fantastic player fantastic attitude and absolutely gutted and heartbreaking to hear about his son yeah so guys sorry to start on such a sad note but i'm sure you'll agree that it's something that has to be said yeah 100 and i think you did a really good job job of it so yeah our sincerest condolences to michael ballack and his family and on that note, what we uh, what we've had Chelsea related in the last couple of weeks or so have obviously been a couple of preseason friendlies. We had a it things kicked off with a behind closed doors game at the mighty Peterborough United. Well, at Cobham rather, they came to Cobham. Um, but yes, at the mighty Peterborough United, um, who were newly promoted to the Championship. For those unaware, just the best league in the world, so you should be aware. 
Um, but we somehow seem to be the Markolic beginners luck since we haven't played them in a long time. But it was a comprehensive win, after which um, the first meaningful friendly was against Arsenal. And, well, it was a, it was a bit strange for me because uh, I saw a lot of players who I didn't expect to see lining up for Chelsea uh, at the time. But I guess that's just always how it goes. You always get to see the likes of, um, I don't know, Miazga suiting up in a Chelsea kit, like it's 2015 all over again. And, yeah, the usual suspects that have just returned, you know, your Kennedys, Apocostas, Bakayoko, who um, joined later, of course. A Barclay drink water. Just everyone that you've maybe slightly forgotten about has come back. But I think the Arsenal game was um, interesting because I really like the fact that Tammy Abraham scored against the team that he has been touted to maybe make a potential transfer to. But I think it was a fairly standard routine kind of friendly as well insofar as the result wasn't really much consequence. Players got some minutes into their system and more of the same against Tottenham Hotspur, really. Um, but also, at the same time, um, I'm obviously forgetting that we played a game against Bournemouth, which goes to show how quickly the friend- friendlies have come one after the other. So I really like the fact that the game against Bournemouth presented um, an unusual pair of scorers for us in Ike Ubo and Armando Broja who have absolutely no chance of being at Chelsea when the season starts. So, yeah, well, it seems to have been a pretty standard preseason, you know, play, playing against the slightly smaller teams, the teams that are more evenly matched against us, a lot of players coming back and suiting up. But, you know, since we all like to talk about these kind of things, and we like to draw some conclusions that excite us a little bit from the from whatever little we get to watch. Was there anyone that particularly excited you? Anyone that you have really high hopes for this season or maybe someone that you expect to maybe stay back with the first team from the Lone Army? So, yeah, any any new any new Ola Aynas, Nathaniel Chalobas for you, Jay? Yeah, so I'm really interested to see what happens with Tino Andrin because I think, you know, he didn't see him a ton until the Tottenham match yesterday. And I, I get the impression... Um, you know, you can always make different arguments for the choices that, you know, any manager is going to field in the preseason, his lineup. I tend to think sometimes, you know, when we're, you know, when we're playing guys like Drinkwater and, um, you know, well, we've got we've got so many guys that we are trying to maybe just get somebody to see that they're healthy and fresh legs and maybe get a sale on. I don't know. But, of course, then trying to kind of keep an eye on the guys that might actually be able to make an actual impact for the first team. I'm also Travis Chaloba. Um, I, you know, I'm really interested to see what happens with him because I think he can fill. It depends, right? Do we make another midfield signing? Are we going to kind of go with what we got now? Does Ruben Loftus cheek factor in? Um, you know, Gilmore's gone for the year, so it, you know, is Chaloba a guy that can fill sort of a emergency center back and and um, deep lying, you know, a defensive midfielding player there? I thought he looked pretty good. Um, I was certainly impressed with. Dujan Sterling coming back being, you know, physically, I, he was, he was, uh, left his mark on several players throughout the preseason. I know he looked pretty aggressive and, uh, not somebody I expect to be, you know, around the team, but somebody that I hadn't seen in a while that was, was good. And then, 
yeah, I mean, it's amazing to just see all these faces again, like you said, like Miaska, and there's Baba Raman over there, and Zappacosta, and, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a little strange, but I, I'm always trying to do that. I, I think the guy for me that, um, you know, Broja, which looks like somebody that I agree with you won't be part of the team, but um, a guy that I think could, could be in the future, um, although, you know, I, obviously there's, a million opinions on whether, you know, what the real chances are of guys like him at his age breaking through and not. So, um, yeah, it was fascinating. I mean, even seeing guys like Lewis Baker again in the team, it just, it really does feel like, uh, you know, what, you know, it's how you could make anybody watch that and guess. I'm going to stop what, you right there. It is. And ask you if you really liked the, oh, well, would you like to maybe in a parallel universe watch Lewis Baker as a libero? in the middle of defense that would be pretty fun wouldn't it i mean i was kind of hoping that would last for more than a game or so he looked great there against bournemouth didn't he yeah yeah he did up against his old pal dom solanke too that was fun exactly exactly so i mean that that's just the kind of kind of quirks that you get to see in preseason really i mean that was definitely up the list of um things i didn't expect to see you you see a lot of weird things. I mean, I I never expected to see Miaska suiting up for Chelsea again, but mm-hmm. I mean further. I mean, no offense, Che. Uh, I obviously know that he's part of your men's national team, but uh, the probably the the least likely thing I ever expected to see was probably Ek Ogbo scoring again, um, or Lewis Baker playing a middle centre back. So that was really weird. But um, yeah, how, how excited does um, Trevor Shalaba make you? Do you think that he can actually fill the sixth centre-back slot, as Tuchel kind of hinted at yesterday. I do. I think, you know, what's going to happen with, uh, you know, Kunde, I think could be a real option. Is Zuma going to leave? I mean, I still think that, you know, when you're trying to figure out a fifth, sixth centre-back, you know, it depends partly who are any of the guys ahead of him right now even going to be here. Um, I tend to think maybe the decision hasn't been finalised, that I think Tuchel feels comfortable with Chiloba in that final center back spot if that's where we end up but I wouldn't necessarily feel like that's still the club's plan a I think it's more likely that we will um, see somebody else come in and that he will again maybe he stays around as an emergency center back role but I, I after the success he had last year on loan in the French League I would really hate to see him uh, you know even if he can make the first team I'd, I would hate to see him spend a year where he's getting very few minutes yeah no for sure I mean personally I would Kind of, um, I would hope that he gets a permanent move and plays a lot of minutes next year because I'm just I'm a proponent of young players playing when they need to be playing because I just think that if it happens at the wrong time, it really risks um, stunting development. So yeah, but it was uh, quite nice to see him look pretty good and actually wear uh, the shirt and play some actual minutes for us, as actual as it gets in preseason. But yeah. Um, Jimmy, any standouts for you? Is Zappacosta posturing to stay back? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we laugh, but Tuchel's played him in basically every game. I'm not sure. I can't remember the behind closed doors games, uh, but definitely in the games that we were able to see, Zappacosta played every game. So, you know, we know that a, a right wing back was on the agenda for the club. That, that I think we don't have to discuss that because we were interested in Hakimi. We actually bid. It does seem as if um, Thomas Tuchel wanted a right wing back. 
you never know. I mean, most of our dead will will probably not bring in too much money at this point. It's it's, it's sad to say because Zappacos is on quite well comparatively large wages. So maybe he thinks about keeping him at the the club. You know, I mean, Dujon Sterling is another choice, but the problem with that is that he didn't play once at right wing back, always as a right centre back, which is it's not worrying, obviously, but it's more of an indication that you can see, okay, he's not really thinking about playing Sterling as a right wing back, and it's very much possible that we will be keeping one of these options at the club. Um, Callum Hudson-Doyle also started against Spurs and Arsenal, I think, um, at wing-back, though it, it was difficult to say whether left or right because Pulisic also played at wing-back against Arsenal, if I'm not mistaken. Point is, it is very much a possibility that one of the lone army or the ones that we wouldn't expect to stay at the club Ala Victor Moses a few years ago will actually stay at Chelsea next year, uh, like a David Zappacosta. Uh, whether that's a good thing or not, I think <laughs> that's up for debate. But um, yeah, no, it, it, it is a possibility. But generally, obviously, Trevor Shalabai is the stand up performer for the last two games, if you ask me. Uh, Hakim. Zeech was the play of the or the man of the match from Chelsea perspective, but taking the more fringe players into account of them for me, as for you guys, it was Trevor Chalaber who was the standout guy. Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I think Dujan Sterling didn't play against Spurs, did he? No, he didn't. He did not. Nope. Mm, I so think that, that you're right. He did. They did uh, give kind of experiment with, you know, they were more pretty attacking in their wing mm. back because Hudson Adoy and Pulisic started on the right and left, which was, you know, and that again, that's a good point to me. Like, is this going to, you know, is Reese James going to be primarily a right wing back? Is he going to play right center back like we saw him some last year? Uh, you know, what's his plan for Escalicueta? I think we might see him be less of a start, you know, a, a, a name that's always in the starting 11 this year. Yeah. Like he has been for so long. Um, and and then d- how is he? How invested is Tuchel in this? Really, you know, playing wingers, true attacking wingers at his wing back positions, if he feels comfortable with his center backs, and is that going to be applied against the you know uh, only certain types of teams when we know we're we're going to have huge amounts of possession and we're going to be primarily needing additional attackers to to try to break down a tight defense. Um, yeah, it's going to be fascinating for me to see once we get actually, you know, a couple matches into the season here and see kind of where he settles, because I think you could make an argument um, and and make a plausible argument for all kinds of different things that are going to come out to be in, in kind of the way he handles that, particularly the wingbacks. Yeah. Yeah, because the thing is, Zappacosta, I mean, people might crucify me for <laughs> This I've never, you know, had an agenda against David Zappacost. I don't think he's overly good, at least not at Chelsea. He was good at Turin uh, or Torino at the time, but I think it's pretty obvious that he won't be getting a contract extension. I mean, his contract does expire next year, so he has one till 222. So... Maybe Thomas Tuchel will have a look at him as a third choice or second choice right wing back. It's not 
it's not out of the realm of, you know, possibility because I don't know. He, he wasn't bad, at least going forward. At least going forward, he wasn't bad uh, at the right wing back position. But we'll have to wait and see. I'll trust Tuchel there with his judgment. Um, but yeah, uh, otherwise, <laughs> one, one player I would actually still like to touch upon or two in this in this sense is uh, Timo Bakayoko and Malang Saar. So just briefly about Timo Bakayoko's in contrast to Saar we've only seen in 45 minutes, which was enough, actually. Uh, I don't think anyone was impressed with Bakayoko yesterday. Uh, he was, well, basically at fault for the first goal. He's the one who lost uh, the ball in midfield when we were in transition. And uh, they countered us. Uh, Spurs weren't playing well, not at all. They they were really bad. We were dominating them and two mistakes led to goals. And those were the two players who caused them. Um, I think Timo Bakayoko, a few episodes ago, I said, well, maybe we can give him a try if Tuchel trusts him because we know he wanted him at PSG. Ah, oh, God, yeah. Hindsight's... Hindsight's not nice at times, so I, I don't know about you guys what you think about these two, uh, but Bakayoko's a, 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 a big no for me, and Malang Sar's not anyone to write home about either. I, I don't think he's done well. He's been, at very best, decent, and you know, given the other options we have at centre-back, Kurt Zuma's miles ahead of him, um, Koundé coming in, Trevor Shalaba, Dujon Sterling. I don't know. It, it, it makes very little sense, even though that left centre-back role, we don't really have anyone else. So, what, what, guys, what do you think, guys? Um, uh, Jay, Jay, what would you say? Should, yeah, should we good, give them a chance? Good question. I, I'm happy to not see, really, either of them play in a Chelsea shirt again. Although, you know, I, I at the same time, I think... Well, Bakayoko is a sore spot for me because I, he is probably one of the bigger misses I've had personally and what my what I thought he would bring to the club and compared to what he has brought to the club. Um, and the fact that he's still reminded every summer when we see him of sort of that, you know, kind of piece of business that really went wrong for us is is frustrating. And I know that there's a lot of, you know, these are guys that we obviously would, would are trying to move on. Um, and I know I think there's a lot of fans who are frustrated with our inability to do so kind of the move on the dead wood, so to speak. Um, you know, again, I think depending on the manager, like you guys pointed out before, we have seen guys that were maybe in that category sort of be able to push themselves back into a piece of the, you know, active squad by impressing a new manager and that sort. So I, I certainly understand Tuchel coming in with a first full preseason and a guy had, you know, wants to see everybody and see if there's players. So I, I, I do wouldn't be surprised at all. But I I also think that maybe you've <laughs> there's also a point of just, you know, your fan base, whether it's fair or not. I think Zappa Costa in particular seems to almost represent more than just his himself in sort of not a great signing. But he represents this era where we acquired a lot of, you know, marginal assets for pretty healthy prices and put them on pretty good wages and that sort of became this issue now where 
you know, everybody really desperately wants to move on from all these contracts. What did Tuchel say? We have 42 players in the squad there right now. Um, and so I'd really like to see us be able to do that. But, you know, when you when these guys are on pretty high wages and then a pandemic comes along and just really, really deflates, you know, maybe maybe for a long time, maybe for a short time, but depresses your market. And now you're trying to move these assets that are sort of already upside down on their value and guys on decent wages that, you know, even if you can find a club willing to give you 60 percent of their value, the chances then they can come along and offer a wage in which the player really wants to leave. Um, you know, anyway, I just uh, my hope is I try to stay optimistic that we'll be able to still move on from several of these pieces before the window shuts and kind of put some of these sales that happened five, six years ago behind us. But I have no optimism that that will be the case. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that's kind of the thing, isn't it? Because how do you shift them? I mean, just to read out the the players that we will want to shift on, right? Matt Miazga. Sorry, Ram. Jake Clark Salter. Babel Raman. Zappa Costa, you'd expect. Timo Bakayoko. Ross Barkley. Lewis Baker. Danny Drinkwater. Kennedy. Well, Charlie Mazunda, probably no one will take a gamble on him, but Mishibash, why? I mean, that's just ludicrous. And you, well, how long have we got? Only a few more weeks? Three more weeks of the transfer window? Never. We're never going to shift them all out. And that that's a bit of a, a worry, isn't it? Because we have these, this, this, this bloated squad, and it's been a problem for a few years now. <sighs> that that summer of 2017 ram that really fudged us up i can't believe yeah. it still it's, it's just so ridiculous yeah i mean yeah i don't know what to say it's just it is what it is i guess as long as we um i feel like we've maybe left that phase of our recruitment behind us or so i would hope at least and yeah, what more can you say rather than to hope that all those players are swiftly moving on? And I mean, listen, we've probably got, um, yeah, okay, you make a point of just over three weeks, but some countries have their windows open a little later than ours. So technically, we still can sell to places like Russia, um, Turkey, the MLS, although I don't know if anyone's actually going to go to the MLS. I feel like Lewis Baker would do pretty well in the MLS for that matter. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I, or, I mean, I guess the worst case will be a bunch of them will just end up going back on loan or something like that. But, um, you can't, you can't really do much apart from, apart from then to just hope that Kranovskaya gets it done somehow. But well, yeah, their contracts are all expiring next year. I mean, they are, they are, yeah. So Basically I mean, everyone, yeah, yeah. I mean, they probably. Um, my guess is that they'll definitely try and get some loan with obligation deals sorted at worst, the way they did with uh, Quadrado and Murata and the likes. I mean, th- those deals um, might be able to get done sooner than um, the the actual transfers because a lot of teams simply don't have the resources to spend at this moment. You know what with uh, football at large still recovering from COVID and everything. So um, we probably shouldn't be surprised if we see some of those down the line. But yeah, those those are just my thoughts on it anyway. But 
Speaking of um, Marina Kranoskaya, shall we move on to the players that might come into Chelsea? Yes. Uh, Maybe we should, but after this break, welcome back. And I feel like it's been a very busy few days in Chelsea transfer world. These, well, in the last couple of weeks anyway, or maybe just the last week. Because as we know with Chelsea, suddenly you see Fabrizio Romano or someone of that ilk saying that we're in advanced talks or however however the lingo goes with a certain player. That's the way it happened with Werner. That's not the way it happened with Havertz, but can't, can't win them all. Nevertheless, the two players that we've been linked to most strongly at this moment are Jules Kounde of Sevilla, centre-back, uh, and the other one is, he needs no introduction, his name is Romelu Lukaku. And <laughs> if if you're not able to tell, I am... I was kind of smiling like an idiot when I said Romero Lukaku. Um, that is my initial reaction to the transfer anyway, because I've someone who's just wanted him to make it at the club for a decade now, because he was signed a decade ago. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, it, it's crazy how things move in cycles. And if he were to come back now um, as our most expensive signing ever, then that's definitely some sort of weird poetic justice to that, given he was in the building for about five years before he left so well what can you say uh let's uh, start with jules Kone first i guess um jay what do you have you um have you been very excited by the prospect of signing him he definitely seems to be i know he has a big price tag slapped on him there were there were talks about 65 70 million well at least a month or month or two ago uh he seems quite highly rated he's very comfortable with the ball not the tallest centre back, but with really good jumping tech from what I've seen. So, do you think? Do you think he's the right fit? And do you think there are many centre backs better than him out there that we can actually go for? I do think it's a good fit. I have watched Sevilla some, not certainly not um, enough to feel really confident um, to tell you know deep dig on his profile. But I, you know, it seems like he'd be make a really good right side centre back for us. Uh, he really good on the ball he's he he's aggressive he's very athletic I think you know the general first criticism I hear most is of course his height and you know is he going to be able to you know compete in the box particularly we know sometimes with set pieces we've struggled to defend and then so we're going to put you know another guy as Bill Quaid size in there how's that going to help but I think he's a really different um, kind of player and I think he again you can find statistics to tell whatever story you want but from actually looking at his numbers and aerial duels one and and the defenses and and players winning you know headers over him his statistics actually don't point out that his height is causing that sort of problem so again maybe some people think in the Premier League that'd be a little more of an issue but I think he uh I think he actually knows it's been his lifelong thing to sort of be you know I've always been questioned because of my height and I am you know it made it my life mission to prove people wrong and I generally like those kind of those kind of personalities. Um, so I generally feel good. And then I guess, you know, it's like most Chelsea things, how, what kind of lens do you want to look at this through? Because if somebody then presents to me, okay, so are you excited about it? Um, that he's going to cost, you know, this, the amount of money that we got from Tamori and Yehi and, um, you know, potentially part of, you know, several other of our young, yeah, that doesn't sound quite so good. Cause I, 
don't know that he's worth both of those plus some money. And um, again, I don't think it's so simple to to talk about that apples to apples. But um, yes, I like the player. It is a lot of money. I think it's somebody that could be a, a really strong player for us for a long time and somebody who's expected to increase his potential and likely somebody you wouldn't have to worry about losing money on. Yeah, I guess so. Um, it doesn't, I mean, I guess it's probably a little lower down the pecking order for us at the moment, given um, a number of plates seem to be spinning on this because Chelsea have obviously tried to use Kurt Zuma as part of the Jules Conde deal. And uh, there are various dynamics involved in these. Uh, I always chuckle when the idea of a player swap seems simple to us uh, in principle, or at least it did to me when I was younger. But I mean, when you actually think about the things involved in this, just for for the player that you're sending to the other to the other club to really be satisfied with that kind of deal and have everything in place for him to move there, especially when it's to a team in the, in a different country, different league, um, it just becomes quite complicated overall. And it seems like it's kind of gone down that d- direction with Chelsea as well, because Kurt Zuma seems to have wanted to move to West Ham in between and then I think it's a case of West Ham being able to pay us what we want for Kurt Zuma and just uh well I keep reading different things every two days to be fair so apologies if this is not the latest update but it's just I suppose it's a fair trade-off um all said and done if we're losing Kurt Zuma who's probably the most saleable and well, a combination of saleable and expendable. He is very good, of course, but if we got decent money for him at this stage, then I wouldn't mind, is what I'm saying. Um, so given that context, if we were getting some money for Godzuma and then we used about the same amount to double up and go and get Jules Konde, someone who seems to have a very high ceiling and a good fit, then it seems like a fair enough deal. It just uh, really annoys me that we couldn't think of Tomori and Kohi either when the defense is clearly trying to, or clearly about to go through some sort of overhaul anyway. But that's a different discussion. Um, yeah, Jimmy, do you have anything to add on Jules Kunde? Do you like, well, do you think that we need a big signing at centre-back? Or do you think that we're going to extend Rudiger or something like that? I, I think, and, you know, this this might be a stretch. I don't want to speak for everyone, obviously. But I think most Chelsea fans would agree or the the vast majority, that centre-back is like the third spot on the priority list. Centre-back is not an area where we need uh, imminent reinforcements. We had one of the best defensive records under Tuchel. We set up a new record in the Champions League for goals conceded. So I get that one doesn't want to stand still and one wants to constantly improve. but there are such big signings needed in other areas. Of course, striker being the the most blatant one. Concentrating on signing a, a, a centre back, you know, concentrating on and signing a centre back, it just seems so. I don't want to say redundant because, as you guys already said, Conde is a, a huge talent. He'd be an asset without doubt. Um, he's very young as well, but it just seems as if, well, 
we're trying to save money for Haaland, but then when spells out, of course, we're not getting Haaland anymore, you'd, you'd think. Uh, but then we have this big, big, big bid for Romelu Lukaku that we've made, and now a second one should be imminent. Why are we then paying for, for Conde? Uh, Mark Goey wanted to leave. Fine. Uh, Tomori, well, I, can't, I don't know what the hell that, hell that came to pass, but okay, that situation happened. So for almost that money, if one includes Kurt Zuma in the severe deal, if that were to happen, sure. Okay, Kunde might be an upgrade now. What the future holds, I can't say. <sighs> I don't know. If we get him, great, because we've been starved for transfers this, this window. But uh, as long as we haven't got a striker in, I just don't think it's a good time to sign Kunde. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't yep. know. For me, it's all about striker. And given mm-hmm. the news that um, after some protests in front of Inter's <laughs> headquarters... Uh, what protests? I mean, did they actually go outside their quarters? Like, yeah, literally. they did. They pulled up wow. some banners, although, you know, no not way. huge or anything. <laughs> okay. And um, now, apparently, according to some very biased Italian media, and they, they can be incredibly biased, mm-hmm. um, a Milan-based paper, I think, Gazetta, whatever, um, they, they're saying that uh, Zhang, as their CEO is called, um, is considering you know should he accept this bid or not and there's some immense pressure from within the club as well uh, as the people are furious uh with this even being contemplated so that does have me a bit worried whether or not we might actually get lukaku it seems as if it was a given now um at least yesterday evening with big journalists like matt law i mean probably the best source you can get Chelsea news of course Fabrizio Romano who's very reliable in within Italy and uh, also others like uh, Nizar Kinsella and so on they all agreed yeah this is pretty much happening so of course that news maybe Inter put the word out to the media to save face you know in front of the fans it's not our fault Lukaku wanted this. I don't know. It's it's difficult. Um, I, I still think that if we do bid this 130 mil, whether that be euros or pounds, I don't know. Because it, it seems like every source quotes something different. Then it should be something that intertake. Because one thing is certain, they still have money problems. So that should play into our hands, I hope. Because I think if we can't get... Erling Haaland, and I'm not going to lie, he was my first choice, then Romelu Lukaku's a fantastic option. Because even in his worst, you know, in quotation marks, his worst seasons for Manchester United, he still scored more than double the amount of goals that our top goal scorer last season had. That was Jorginho. Mm-hmm. And those were, if I'm not mistaken, all penalties. So this guy knows how to score goals. His, his ratio, his goal ratio is incredible. So he'd be a great signing. Let's just hope we get him. Um, pull it, just pulling this out here to you guys, Jade, just to start with you. <laughs> so Master just uh, put out a story. Yeah, this, this contract extension of Lionel Messi, which was 
Also, nah. one lawyer said that's happening. No way, it's, it's broken down. It's broken <laughs> down. He's not going. He's not going to sign a new contract with with Barcelona. Just this is breaking news. So, um, <laughs> I already said <laughs> welcome to Chelsea. Leo Messi tweets on my timeline, so you can see where this is heading. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, just just really be 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 honest. If there would be any possibility in this world that we could sign Messi instead of Lukaku, would you guys do it? Yes or no? Jay? No. I, I, I probably am, um, but, I, but I, look, I, there is so much that comes with that. You know, your club becomes, you know, Messi FC. And I, I think especially after being at Barcelona his whole life, that would be especially true. And um, again, maybe there's a lot of really positive to that, but I'll take the I'll take the guy that's younger and, and um, yeah, again, like I said, I would expect to be on the lower end of those poll results, but I would say no. <laughs> well, no, that's a fair, that's a fair assessment. Ram, what do you think? Yeah, my guy. I knew he would say no because he's, he's, because he's very sensible. And <laughs> I also think, I would also say no for the same reason. I just don't want the, I mean, that, I don't know, that's, it's not what I really want out of supporting Chelsea. <laughs> I don't want us to become Messi FC. Just all the baggage. Listen, he's an unreal player, but I just, uh, I just want us to continue the way we're going at the moment. I feel like we have a nice thing going um, in terms of squad building. Well, squad building is a little suboptimal, as um, I might bring up in the next five or seven minutes. But uh, squad building would just become even more suboptimal. Let's say that. Um, and I just, I'm very, uh, I like to think I'm process oriented enough to not want Lionel Messi to simply come and ruin the process at the moment. Although, I mean, listen, he'd probably be unreal for one, two, three, how many ever years, but I just want, yeah, Chelsea to remain Chelsea and not Messi FC. So well, it's um, funny you say that. I was actually, as much as you know, being an American, I think yeah. a lot of people expected when we signed Pulisic that I would be, you know, really excited about it because, and obviously he's our biggest talent and ever, yeah. and all these things, and coming to my club. But I also recognize that as you know, an American fan, I would probably be that most of the folks I interacted with inside the Chelsea world probably would and fairly assume, oh, you must be a you know big Pulisic fan, and now you're here, and it was like. <laughs> I, I almost feel like that, it would, again, maybe that's a really silly fanboy way to think, but it's like, you know, Messi comes to your club and suddenly your fan base is the whole world. And it's like, I don't know, like half yeah. of these people are here for Messi. It's like following LeBron around to the Lakers. It's like, I, I don't know. I enjoy more to experience the Chelsea journey together and over the years and talk about all these transitions of managers and youth cycles and all the sort of story of the fandom rather than like, you know, oh my gosh, now our fan base is twice as big because we have the biggest superstar. Um, but again, that that's a very, you know, personal feeling, I suppose. Um, but, you know, regarding the Lukaku thing, I, I do think it'll happen. I'd probably be very foolish to make a prediction on my first, you know, podcast because it'd be a good way to not come back. But I, I think that, I think Lukaku's going to happen. I really do. I think, I also think that there's a big, a big move for a center midfielder in here before this window closes. I, there has been obviously the rice stuff has been quiet all pretty much all summer, um, but it's you know I, what I uh, the way I envision this is sort of you know I don't know if you guys ever watched like the Hobbit you know but the 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 <laughs> sleeping dragon of smog you know that Chelsea's been kind of this sleeping giant all summer long and 
everybody's, you know, there starts to get a little frustration and a little sense of like, wow, it's, you know, when's this guy going to wake up? Why aren't we doing anything? And you can be as frustrated as you want, but once that dragon wakes up, you better get out of the way because it's time to, for stuff to start happening. And I just, man, it feels like that to me with the way we went from zero to a thousand on the Lukaku stuff. This, you know, Matt Law gets back from vacation and suddenly it's like, all right, we're going to start whatever the strategy is. I think you could argue that some of this is a smokescreen or that there, you know, it's not all direct. There could be, you know, things behind the scenes kind of happening. But I, I just have this feeling that, you know, the Kunde thing will happen last and that once Lukaku's pretty much signed up, we're going to start to really aggressively um, go after a center midfield. And it could be Rice. And I think that, um, again, it just fits in with, in some ways, the way we did business last summer, where we were able to move pretty quickly on the targets we actually wanted, um, you know, without really a lot of people knowing about it. So I still think Declan Rice is a possibility this summer. Hmm. I mean, it has to be said that if just just to add to what I said before uh, about Kunde, if we do uh, sign Lukaku after that, Kunde can come in. You know, I I don't see it as an absolute necessity that um, a centre mid has to be signed before a centre back. I just want my striker at Chelsea Football Club. That is <laughs> so integral to our upcoming season. So yeah. I get why one would want uh, Jules Koundé, although I haven't seen much of him, but that's fine. Um, I think also it was something that you mentioned, um, Jay, was that Declan Rice, we haven't heard that much in the past few weeks this summer. You know, there's not been a lot of rumours. The same, you know, uh, I can't remember his, his, his first name. Sorry, guys. But Tuchmeni. There's been like one rumour I think it was like one rumor of him um, these past weeks. That's about it. There was one about this this Barcelona Modiba, who's uh, reluctant to sign a new deal at Barcelona. Great, great thing they've got going on over in Barcelona. Can only laugh. Um, yeah, Poor guys. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I, I just love them to bits. <laughs> so. That gives me the indication that I think we might not sign anyone in, as a centre mid this season, uh, this this window. Um, we have got Ross, ba- uh, Ross Barkley. Sorry, I oh, washed my mouth with soap. No, Room Loftus Cheek, um, <laughs> who Thomas Tuchel. Well, I mean, it, it seems obvious that he likes him. He he's been quite impressed with him. I think Loftus Cheek hasn't been playing poorly. I think he's bring something else to the table. Um, he's not quite up to speed yet, I would argue, but um, he could take up this fourth spot in midfield uh, for this this um, this upcoming season. And then maybe Ethan Ampadu stays as well, and he can then cover for centre-back and centre-mid, who knows. Um, but I, I, I'd actually... I'd actually say that we won't be signing anyone in the midfield position this summer. Maybe in January, Tuchmany. I could really see that happening, that if we say, okay, we need someone to reinforce our midfield, then we'd go ahead and get Tuchmany in 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 January. Because as Cesc Fabregas also said, it would probably do him the world of good if he stayed for one more year at Monaco, or half a year. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, 
transfers. I'm st- I think that's I'm still it. a yeah, big please, RLC yeah. fan. I'm still a big RLC fan. I, you know, I'm a proud RLC kit owner, and I, you know, if I, in my opinion, it seems like Abraham and RLC are like the if the collective Chelsea fan base could will two of our youth players to really succeed and you know those might be the guys every they're just nothing bad to say about either of them and yet Mm. uh, you know I've had to begrudgingly sort of be honest with myself a little bit about RLC the past couple years and say you know as much as they're all the stuff we see in him is is stuff we're talking about in my opinion that's potential or could be it's always that he's got this he's, he's got it all in there he's got the full package and very little of like yeah and here's a stretch of six games where he showed us that um, I know he's been derailed a bit by injuries, I, but you're exactly right to me. If, if, if he's able to make Tuchel feel this summer that he, you know, is, is a reliable, at least fourth option in the midfield, then I don't think you're right. I, it makes no sense to go out and spend the kind of money on a midfielder, but I have my doubts particularly because of the, you know, again, we could play some varying formations, but if we're going to play what we saw mostly last year, I, he, in my opinion, Loftus cheek in the pivot is just, wildly misused he looks lost it it doesn't allow him to use a lot of his best qualities um and um you know again i I, with conte there maybe you know he can cover up so much of that for anyone um but yeah i'm fascinated to see he's one of the guys i'm most interested to see if he stays with the team or if he gets loaned out i think that will tell us a lot about how tuchel sees the structure of his squad this year well i mean I, i i i I'd hazard a guess that there's not a single Chelsea fan who will be unhappy with Ruben Loftus-Cheek finally coming good at the club he's been at since, I don't know, since he was a little boy. So that's that's something to look out for this upcoming season. Cheers, Jay. Um, yeah, and we're going to continue, I'd say, Ram, with the topic where obviously... Jay, you've, you've become the go-to writer at We Ain't Gonna Hustle for, and that's for Chelsea women. Now, I'm not going to go ahead and say, oh, I watch all the games, because <laughs> I don't. Uh, I have, I did watch the Champions League semi-final and the Champions League final of the women. Um, I think they've done an absolute fantastic job at Chelsea. Emma Hayes is just... Uh, is there a is is there a, a more lovable person in management than Emma Hayes? I'm I'm not sure. I mean, I lo- I like Thomas Tuchel as well. Antonio Conte was great. Frank Lampard was fantastic as well. But Emma Hayes, ah, uh, it's it's just she's she's really a gem, isn't she? She really, really is, and it's you know one of the things I think it's that when you really know that's true is when your rival fans, you know, they're never going to come out and just say, oh, she's the best, but they. You know, that begrudging respect um, that you see from, you know, people that cover the other managers and sort of, you know, um, just like, yeah, she absolutely is. And you'd see, well, it was really neat for me this summer. I think a lot of people that weren't as familiar with Emma Hayes um, got to see her uh, as part of the, you know, coverage for the Euros over there in the UK. I did. She was not because we didn't, you know, our coverage wasn't handled. I was at Sky or Bet or I'm not sure. But um, I. uh, yeah, it was really cool. And she showed, I mean, I, you know, I saw tons of commenting from people in football analysis that they were really just impressed with her, you know, really, really detailed analysis and the way she sees the game. So I think she's a brilliant tactical mind. Um, so, you know, no doubt about that. But I think the thing that I see that's truly unique about her 
um, I don't know how to really quantify it necessarily, but she, you know, we were, I was on a podcast yesterday and we were talking about kind of the structure of her squad and how she's created it. And if you look sort of at a lot of these teams, Man City, Man U, you don't see a lot of players from outside the UK come and stay there very long, um, whether that's because they don't, I, I don't know, I don't, I can't tell you why that is. Um, you know, Man City has been very talented, but even, you know, you saw all these US players come over for a very short time. And you've got this Scandinavian core of the U.S. women's national team um, that has really, uh, you know, it's it's kind of Danish, Norwegian, Sweden. Um, we've got a lot of these players, and they're staying, and they're staying for year after year after year. And even some of those players are as happy as you could seemingly be in a role where they're constantly fighting for playing time. I mean, there are so many players on the bench of Chelsea's women that would start all over the WSL, and yet you don't see those players leaving the next season. Um, and and to me, that tells you at least that she she's able to, from a man management perspective, make each player feel valued and feel an important part of the team because they just wouldn't stay in in, in those places. So um, again, obviously, some of that. I'm sure if I was a fan of another team, I'd be rolling my eyes a little bit because it's like, oh yeah, you know, she's such a great, such an yeah. But I really do. I think besides just the football acumen, her strength is understanding her roster, and I really think that's true about even the best football managers, right? I mean, take like Fergie yeah. or whatever. Sure, he's a hell of a tactical mind, but all the stuff you hear about Fergie these days is all about the way he. It's all these crazy stories about motivating the team and the control and respect he had of every member of that locker room. So I, that's what I see in her is, is somebody who has 100 percent total love and respect from the locker room. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Such such good points. She Emma Hayes genuinely seems like the most well-rounded manager that I've come across in football. And honestly, I, I think that uh, but I have some thoughts on something that I'm about to say, but. Um, I'll just leave it for after a short break and welcome back. Um, as we were just talking about Emma Hayes, it just reminded me of uh, something that I saw last season during our amazing Champions League round, of course. I saw these stories about maybe AFC Wimbledon considering her for a senior role for the men's team, of course. I mean, Jay, you'd agree with me when, I mean, I think we can both agree on the fact that it's slightly insulting consider her for the head coach of a league one team i i feel like i mean i don't know what your thoughts on this are but i feel like we we probably aren't too far off in in so far as thinking that even if she just spends her entire career doing what she's doing right now and making the chelsea women's team the most unassailable force in women's football she would 100% go down as one of the most storied coaches in all of football, to be fair. Absolutely. And uh, I try to, I, I will answer your question and try to take one step back and because I have thought a lot about this issue and I've answered this question a time or two. And, mm -hmm. and I think, you know, yes, I think the more and more that I work in coverage of, of particularly women's football, I of course, we're all very well, we're all well aware of um, a lot of the inequality, whether it's 
just blatant discrimination, whether it's pay gap, whether it's broadcast coverage, whether it's facilities, whether it's um, buy-in from the clubs, right? I mean, we're all so aware of the difference in the way that the women are treated. But one of the way, the thing that I find as just, you know, it's pretty easy to reject and point out as wrong the, you know, blatant discrimination. What I see more of and what has over time been more just kind of day-by-day discouraging or day-by-day is how much stuff there is in football in which people are so patronizing towards the women and they don't, they genuinely may not even have any sense that that's the case. And that to me is a lot harder type of treatment to correct because I think they just so many people, you know, the idea, I think there are a lot of people who genuinely feel, Hey, what, what, yeah, that's an, I'm honoring Emma Hayes by saying, I think she could coach, uh, you know, a, a league one men's team. And that right there is this discrimination in the sense of, well, you've already sort of just in your question stated that any level of men's football is going to be not even, you know, who would even think it could be equal to or lower than anything in the women's game. And so suggesting that the number one manager maybe in all of women's football is only equivalent to some third division, maybe if she's lucky in the men's game. I mean, obviously it's insulting, but also just the mere suggestion that, well, she must obviously have an ultimate goal to be in the men's game. If she's a manager, you wouldn't, your goal wouldn't be to just stay in the women. And that's, again, it's just like this incredibly insulting thing that I don't think is quite as blatant as the, you know, women should be in the kitchen, but it is pretty bad. And it's the way that people refuse to treat women and see the women's game as an equal. And so um, anyway, again, that's kind of me getting up on my soapbox about that. But that that is where I'm coming from when I think about all these positions where Emma's yeah. being asked for men's roles. And I'm thinking I credit her a lot for not getting really angry when she's asked that and being professional in her responses because, um, yeah. you know, I, I would have a hard time biting my tongue. Yeah. I'm, I, I saw a response to that as well. And I was fatty. I, I just thought that it spoke even better to, towards her character and just how, um, well, it just showed what a big character she was to just kind of brush it away and, not really get really offended at that question because that's what it was just it was plain offensive and quite ignorant in my opinion so yeah definitely agree with all that you said there and I think that it, it's kind of important that we touched on this as well um, but just on just as a slight preview to what we can expect from Chelsea women for the coming season it's just a small thing that I wanted to touch on since we've been discussing transfers and how we're potentially creating a logjam of attacking players in the men's team. Um, I'm, I'm sure that everyone uh, is has been really happy at the fact that we now have two members of the James family at Chelsea. Um, so obviously, Lauren James joined us. Uh, and how are we? How are we gonna fit all of our attackers in the same team without losing one of them? in the nearest future. I mean, that's a that's a problem I always, I mean, I often think about with respect to squad building and I feel like it's, um, I feel like it might be quite relevant in the situation as well. I mean, we 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 did also acquire Anique Nguyen, so I'm hoping you can tell me something about her as well. But uh, yeah, I'd definitely like to hear your thoughts on how we solve the, um, the attacking, the attacker conundrum, because it seemed like we had a lot of firepower last season, but now that we're adding one more to the mix, how, how do you think that's going to play out? Yeah, I, that's a great question. I, you know, one of the things I've tried to do is be 
you know, of course, I'm a huge, massive fan of the Chelsea women team, but I, I'm a pretty critical, cynical person by nature. So I try to be honest about, you know, what concerns I have about the squad. And I am a little I'm very interested. I trust, like I said, trust Emma Hayes implicitly, but I am very intrigued to see how she handles that attacking lineup. The Warren James signing is 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 um, obviously a benefit for the club. She's a very bright young talent. She came from the club. There's the James sibling connection. It's a very feel good story. But from a actual roster standpoint, I am a little my eyes squinted a little bit because I would guess she's going to play some on the left wing. Um, that's where she's you know she can play up top, but we. I can't see her playing a lot there with, you know, the options we have. Sam Kerr, um, of course, Bethany England, Harder can play up top. And I don't see her displacing Fran Kirby or or Harder. So, again, with her age, I don't know that she needs to come in. And I don't see her starting a lot of matches right away. I think it'll provide us an option to play a 4-2-3-1 more than sort of a 4-2-4 or 4-4-2, whatever kind of you want to say that we ran with those you know, Kirby and usually Wrighton or Cuthbert um, on the on the wings attacking. So, yeah, it's it's very it's a little peculiar to me. And then and then regarding, yeah, Nguyen, I think that's a really great signing. I've wanted to see us increase our depth at center back a little bit. I mean, Magda Eriksson and Millie Bright have been a very reliable partnership and they have been, you know, they're 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 really good together. However, we saw in the second half of last year when both struggled off and on with injuries that mm-hmm. when you replaced one of those two, it, it seemed to do, you know, the two of them together seemed to be more than the sum of their parts. And so taking out one of them does more than just seemingly change it a little. They, it seems to really, it, 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 we had a loss of partnership. So I think bringing new in, in were particularly, to be honest with you, I think she'll really challenge Millie Bright for that starting position um, within by the middle of the season. Um, I, unfortunately, the first time I saw her play was in the Olympics and I turned on the match with Brazil and I, within <laughs> five, five, with literally within five seconds of turning it on, she passed it back and gave away a goal. And I thought, well, you know, that's, yeah. that's probably not the, doesn't inspire me a lot, but I, I obviously that was just coincidental. Um, but mm-hmm. really the back line is where I'm interested to see. And at the wing backs, right? Because we already were a little, in my opinion, thin there. Um, and then when Marin Mielda, uh, get a major leg injury last year and had to miss the remainder of the season. Uh, we tried all kinds of things. You saw uh, Hannah Blundell was out there, but she's now at Manchester United. They pulled Neve Charles down and play, tried her there, though she's more really more of a winger by, that by, by nature. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and then actually Jess Carter ended up probably being the best option. Um, but I've been really, really surprised that that has not been addressed this summer. Um, I just thought that yeah. would be something, you know, you saw the way they went and got harder last summer. The way the women's transfer market is, you can go get business done if you're just willing to go make the purchases. Um, so I thought we would kind of boss our way into the market and, and identify a target or two and just get them. And we still might, but, um, you know, Mielda's recovering well. Uh, Jenna Anderson had a great Olympics for Sweden. She may be, but but she had a kind of a tough end of the second half of last season. So, again, I'm kind of rambling at this point, but it, it just – that's the position I have – and so, going back to your Lawrence James thing, I am really desperately hoping that it is not an idea of transitioning her into a wingback role. Um, mm. I, I just, I as a Crystal Dunn fan of the U.S. national team, I, you know, that's basically what's happened to her for the U.S. team and for Portland. And she is, 
it shouldn't happen. She's an incredible attacking player, and I would not like to see another player sort of push back out of position um, with that kind of talent. Yeah, I think that was yeah excellent summary. I think um, it yeah, and I especially especially like the fact that I mean you pointed out that the way recruitment works at this stage anyway is if you've got the money really, um, you can pretty much assemble the kind of team that you like. So there is a lot of maneuvering room there, which does kind of make it surprising that they didn't, um, yeah, they didn't issue the fullback conundrum. But, but the one other thing I'd say real quick too is that I, yeah. what has happened is we've had our our rivals around us. You know, Arsenal had a little bit of a strange start to the summer because they, you know, Joe Montemurro left as manager after after being there a long time, and they brought in a mm. I won't say his I think he's a Swedish guy that I won't say his name right, but um, yeah. they you know then then they was they brought in uh, Nikita Paris and thought that it sounded like um, you know Miedema might move the other direction, but she's still there, and mm. they so they've had a few departures, but they've also brought in some real talent, but. Manchester City um, has done kind of what we did in a summer or two where it was just like, uh oh, um, that is a giant reload. And they brought in some incredible players, um, including Bunny Shaw. And um, they're they're going to they're going to be really scary next year. And I personally, if I would think they're right now the league, the league favorites. So I'm a, I'm especially a little surprised that, um, you know, kind of the way the men seem to be, you know, as right as Jack Grealish is signing on. It's like, yeah, well, watch this. Here's <laughs> I, I would I would like to see a little more of that yeah. response to City on the women's side this summer. But um, if that may still come, if it doesn't, though, I think we are not favorites for the league. I think we're second. Mm, interesting. Um, well, I think anyone listening to this has learned a lot if you haven't been as clued up uh, with with that side of things as Che has. Um, it's one of my almost resolutions for this season to, well, at least watch like 1.5 times the games. Not that was very specific, wasn't it? Because <laughs> I did watch a fair amount of them last season. But yeah, um, I just want to catch every game this season. That's something that I didn't do last season, but I definitely should be doing. And if you're listening to this, you definitely should be as well. Well, even if you're not listening to this, because that's how good um, that's how good the experience has been so far, and it will continue to be. So, um, on that note, we will end this episode of We and Got No Podcast, uh, episode two for season 2020-21. Oh, geez, <laughs> that, that's me doing that again. That was oh my god, <laughs> I can't believe I did that. 2021-22. I have yeah, I have issues processing time at times. Uh, but anyway, episode two of the new season, and yeah. Uh, Jimmy is clearly laughing at me at this point, but yeah, it's been it's been great, Jimmy and Jay, out obviously. Love, out of love, Ram. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, as for you, obviously. Uh, and Jay, listen, first time, first time. I mean, I know that you obviously do other podcasts as well, but I mean, you smashed it out of the park. Not not that I'm surprised because I expected that to happen, but yeah, I mean, we're. I mean, you're you're just. Um, eventually just going to become part of the furniture here. So that's going to be nice. Uh, looking forward to having you here a lot more. Well, through I, the course. I, don't, I don't know if my boss here at my day job feels the same way, but this was by far <laughs> my, my favorite part of the day. So I can promise you won't have to twist my arm too hard to make a return. Brilliant. Brilliant. Oh uh, yeah. Really looking forward to having you back sooner rather than later on the podcast. And Absolutely. yeah, on that note, let's, um, well, end this episode of We Ain't Got No Podcast and we shall see you next time after the 
or well, just before the season has started, rather, because we're going to do a bit of a Premier League preview um, just before the season starts. Uh, whether we'll be able to make it work timeline-wise, Jimmy, let's um, make let let's set a resolve to do it. So yeah, yes. But See, well, Oli yeah. Oli Glanville will also be joining us for the season preview. Uh, we will not let you wait too long. Don't worry about that. Um, yes. Yeah. Exciting uh, talks. I, yeah, I just feel like we may have lost um, some trust on timelines by this point, but we we will we will do our best. To, we will do our best to earn it back. But yeah, until the next episode, um, stay safe, sound, and see you next time.